Thank you for joining us in our Luke series, the most important story ever told. It's truly amazing to me that God entrusts us with the most important work in the world. That he qualifies us and believes in us as followers to spread the good news, to spread his peace. He says, I'm not just going to handle this myself. You know what? I want you to be part of it. A God who believes in you. For some of us, that might seem to be a very foreign concept, that you never had somebody really believe in you. But I'm telling you right now, God believes in you. He wants to set you on a path for the greatest purpose in the world. And in that, in his greatest purpose, you will find real purpose. No matter what your job is or what your family looks like, you will find real purpose. And I know that's what each one of us really want. We want to be part of a bigger purpose. And he invites us in and says, hey, I believe in you. Let's go. So as we open Luke 10, and let me say this, there's been so many amazing messages coming out of Luke. And before we jump into 10, please, as you hear Benji share about who do you say that I am, don't go, that was cool, and then leave. I hope you go home and you dig into it and be like, this is amazing. And consider the things, let it soak in it. What I know about the scripture is it's kind of like a meal that when you take the first bite, you're like, I don't know how I feel about that. And then you take another bite and you go, I think that's pretty good. And then by the fifth bite, you're like, this is the best thing I ever had. It's complex. It's nuanced. But it's beautiful. So dive into it. Come with me as we come into Luke 10. All right? So he's sending out these 70 others as he's making his way back to Jerusalem. Jesus is. And he's going to send them out in pairs of two. That's what a pair is. I don't mean to get complicated with you. If you're playing cards later, don't get confused. Um, And so we ask, why do they send them out in pairs? I think there's a couple of reasons for this, but I do want to address something that comes up in church all the time. I think he sends them out in pairs for several reasons. One, so that they can comfort one another because they're new at this. Two, he sends them out because they need some accountability between each other. But most importantly, we see this done over and over because there is power in two people testifying to the same thing. Saying, we've both seen this. It's not just one account. And unfortunately, in the American church, there's a verse that's quoted all the time at the beginning of services That's just misused. It's not that it's totally inaccurate, but it's just misused. They say, hey, we're two or three are gathered. I'm there in your your presence. I'm there with you. Okay. Why that's misused is because it's out of context. In Matthew 18, what they're talking about is approaching someone in sin. And that's where we see this. Listen to this real quick. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. You don't have to embarrass him. Go just you. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that 
by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact might be confirmed. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. So we like to quote this because we're like, hey, we're gathered together. So we'll say something about gathering. But Jesus is specifically saying, when you're going to someone, your brother, and approaching him and saying, hey, you're in sin, I want to bring you back. This is noble work and it's scary work. And if they don't respond just to you, bring somebody else and I'm with you because what you're doing is right. And it's, but it's also not, not true. Not, not true. It's also true that God is in this place, but it's not just because we're together. God is with you when you're alone. There is a danger to think God only lives right here. That'll lead you to some secretive sin, which we are really good at in America. Right? You hear people say, who would steal from the church? It seems like, oh, well, that's where God is. Be careful. We want to use scripture in context. Okay? So when you hear that, now forevermore. Doesn't mean those people are bad people who quote it that way. It's just a little misunderstanding, and they probably heard it 800,000 times and never got into it never dug deep to say, what does this really mean? Okay, so we're going to dig deep right now. Luke 10, verse 2. Jesus in sending out these 70 others. He's just sent out in chapter 9, the 12. Now he's sending out these 70 unnamed others. And he says to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So the harvest is plentiful, but the what are few? God didn't like your answer. It was too soft, okay? <laughs> Just kidding. That was a joke. All right? <laughs> what are few? Okay, that's right, laborers. He didn't say, I need foremen. I need CEOs. I need managers. And in a world obsessed with job titles, and I say, well, I'm the assistant to the regional manager. Right? We need to consider the humility of this job title, laborers. He doesn't need you to be qualified. Nobody said, I'm going to get a PhD in laboring. That's the close I got, closest I got to that, sorry. Right? It tends to be the bottom rung. I just need willingness, possibly some strong backs, but I need trust and willingness. Now, I've always said, um, I wasn't big into job titles. I had lots of different job titles. I knew what my job was. I didn't care. It's okay. Until the Lord humbled me one day. I was coming out of the Terra up here. And a woman who was cleaning at the time, she was talking on the phone. And when I walked out the door, I was jo joking with her. And she apologized to the person on the phone and said, oh, I'm sorry, I was just talking to our choir director. And I went, uh, nope, that ain't my title. I know choir directors, they're old ladies, generally, you know, and, right, and all this stuff, okay? 
okay? We don't have any choir directors on our stage. Let's just be clear about that. Okay? I was like taken back because in my mind, I didn't realize it, but I thought, you know, I'm a guitar player who sings, not a singer who plays guitar and does these other things. I put myself into this little nook, right? And I was comfortable with it. And there was a ton of titles I was comfortable with, but as soon as somebody called me something that I was like, wait, no, no. It's not that I felt better than that. I just thought that doesn't describe me. That's not right. Then I think it was like a week later, I'm standing on the stage with the Vance, and Mac Powell is here, and I'm telling him this humorous story that I have come across, and I said, yeah, she called me a choir director, and he goes, I used to be the choir director at my church. <laughs> the Lord will teach you humil humility sometimes, will show you what you're really valuing, and this is going to be essential if we want to be part of this plan to humble ourselves to this place of laborer, which is a beautiful thing because it requires little in your qualification to be used. But it will require you to humble yourself so that you can be useful. So Jesus says, the laborers are few. So what do we do? We beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He didn't say, so complain. Hey, the, the, the harvest is plentiful and we don't have enough laborers. So if you could just tell everybody about how the world's going to hell and not enough people know Jesus, that would be great. If you could post about it and just continue to complain. No, he says, beseech the Lord of that harvest. Pray. It's hard not to feel like I'm getting accented by the thunder. The, <laughs> Pray fervently that God would provide these unqualified people that I can qualify to send out to do my work. Beseech. In that humility, we recognize our ability to be used, right? In 1 Corinthians 4.1 says, Paul says, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And when there's so much work to do, this harvest is plentiful, it's all ready to go, and I have few laborers, I need them focused. I don't need them worried about their reputation. I need them doing what they're here to do. So beseech the Lord. Pray, give me these laborers that we can see the kingdom. And then Jesus does something amazing. In the next verse, he says, go. Guess what? You prayed for the laborers. You are said laborers. You are the answer to the prayer that you prayed. A God who believes in you loves to do this. To say, you're, you're seeking this out, you're pleading for the salvation of your family, he might use you to introduce him to them. Because he's a God who believes in you. And he knows if you trust him, you can get it done and be part of this unbelievable plan. Beseech him and you might be the very one who sent. If you're passionate about it, you might be the one. 
So go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Lambs among wolves. This is dangerous work. I can't imagine the attention he grabbed from, from these 70 others as he makes this statement to them. This is dangerous what I'm about to ask you to do. I'm going to tell you exactly what to do. I can imagine they have full attention on him. If you grew up in that time, you would have seen what a lamb, what happens to a lamb when a wolf comes after it. You would have walked by it a few times. It would be like right now if he said, I send you out like a deer on Highway 81 during the rut. But this time the cars aren't worried about their insurance. They're trying to hit you. You drive, you drive by the horror. It's, it's in your mind. How am I going to be safe? He grabs our attention and says, hey, before you go out, you understand this is dangerous. And I'm going to tell you exactly what I want you to do. It is critically important that when you're going to do something especially dangerous, that you listen to the expert, you listen to the one who knows better than you, and you follow his instructions. So my dad, um, he was a pilot for the majority of his professional life. He flew in the Navy, and then he flew for Delta for like 25 years. And in the in-between of those two things, he was training people to fly. And I don't know if you hung around with pilots very much, but pilots are like, Crossfitters or vegans, they love talking about it, like all the time, right? And uh, so one day, I'm, we're taking my dad out to dinner, and we swing by the Mobleys, and Drew is learning to fly. He's getting his license. And so my dad and him get in a conversation, and there's almost no stopping it. They're going, right? But I'm just listening. I'm, just, I'm intrigued. My mom's like, let's go. But my dad tells him this story that a fellow flight instructor, when my dad was teaching, took this guy up in a plane, and the guy was a very large man, um, about 6'6". Six, six. I'm about 6'3 and a half, 6'4". I don't know if I've started shrinking yet. Steve Trailer, when does that happen? <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm getting old. I haven't measured in a while. So anyway... This guy's like 6'6", six, six, and if you've ever been in one of these small planes, it is not built for this. It's small. You're crammed in there, and this is a big boy, okay? And he goes up there, and they're going to do some stall training, okay? And the way a stall works, to the best of my understanding, I got a couple lessons in it this week. It's called an air stall, and when the angle of the wing isn't right with the angle of the air, okay, you no longer are getting lift. It starts to vibrate and you drop. And you have to know how to get out of that. You can imagine, that's pretty important. It's very dangerous if it happens during takeoff or landing. If it happens way up in the air, you're generally pretty safe. You'll figure it out. So they take these guys up and they teach them that. Now if a stall goes really bad, it can flip you over and put you into a spin, okay? Which looks, okay, let me, let me give you a quick warning. If you get a little uh, motion sickness, Feel free to close your eyes because I'm about to show you what this looks like. If you could go ahead and fire that for me. This is not Drew, but. Now here's the crazy thing. To get out of this is a very simple procedure. 
let everything go. Take your feet off, take your hands off, because guess what? The plane is built to fly. And you are making this happen. And what happened with this guy, this very large man, is he freaked and he shoved his foot down like he was pushing the brakes, but instead he's pushing the rudder, which is causing him to just go. And his instructor's going, stop, no, let go, stop. And he can't hear him. He's too afraid. Guy's grabbing his leg, trying to pull it off so that he will stop spinning towards the earth. And he can't do it. The man is too scared. They go all the way to the ground. Now, how does my dad know this story well? Because <laughs> they survived. They destroyed a plane. But in the process of spinning like that, you are slowing down a little bit. It's not like going straight down. And he said the instructor at some point looks at the altimeter and says, now it's going to be better if we just keep going. Because if he straightens it out now, we're going to go straight into the ground. But if I'm doing something dangerous... I got to listen to the guy who knows what he's talking about. I got to trust the thing I'm in, trust that he built me to go do this thing or this plane was built to fly. And all I got to do is let go. But instead, most of us go, I'm going to go serve the Lord. Let's go. Let go. Trust the master. Trust the teacher. Trust the one who knows what's going on. And they're going to be tested in this. As he says, I'm going to send you out as lambs among wolves. He gives them these instructions. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one along the way. Heal the sick and say the kingdom of God has come near to you. So you just said, let's be clear, Jesus. I'm going to send me out as sheep among wolves. Sheep got no chance against wolves without a shepherd, right? But I feel like I'm not a sheep, I'm a, I'm a guy. Give me a sword or, you know, karate, something. But you're saying, I'm gonna go out there into this dangerous thing and I can't bring shoes? See, humility is required for you to go out and I trust him. He knows better than me. If not, you're gonna be sneaking things, putting things away, going, it'll be, if I need it, it's there. I trust him that he knows better. I can lean on him. Jesus instructs them, when you come to a house, say shalom or peace to this house. And if there's a man there who's a man of peace, a man who's upstanding in his city, in his town, in his village, if he's benevolent, he'll ask you to come in. You know, stay there. Don't bounce around from house to house. Stay there. Eat what he feeds you. I know that's hard for some of you. Some of us are pickier than others. Eat what he feeds you. This is the wages for your labor. Because a laborer deserves his wages. You're going to be taken care of. See, these instructions are very specific to this mission, this short-term mission. Jesus' instructions will change. In chapter 22, he'll say, remember when I sent you out and I didn't let you bring anything? Did you need anything? They said, no, we didn't. He said, that's right. Okay, now when you go out, bring all that stuff. And if you got money, buy a sword. 
Why would this be? Why wouldn't it be the same instructions every time? That'd be so much easier for us to follow. But God made every single person unique, every situation unique, and it requires my attentiveness on him, me to lean on, to trust him inside of those situations. He can say, hey, these people are different. Here's how I need you to approach this. Every circumstance, he knows how to invade it. Can you trust him? Can you humble yourself to that laborer position so that you can be effective in those moments? Instead of leaning on your own strength, I I know how to share the gospel. I've got this tactically down. Are Are you really saving people or is Jesus saving people? If they don't accept you in their house, you need to shake the dust off your feet as testimony against them, which is a way to say, I wash my hands of this. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than that city. Proclaim this out. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to Hades. So a little uplifting message before you leave. Now don't, the first several times I read this, this is why I say you got to chew on things. I'm like, that's harsh. Does that convince anybody? The job at that point, as you've been pushed off and we're going to see you here soon, is to warn them what you're doing. And they're not, they're not choosing like to go to war against Jesus, but they are choosing to be apathetic to the things that they've seen. And he chooses to mention three ancient cities, Sodom, Tyre, and Sidon, which were known for corruption and sin, and compares them to these modern day cities and say, you're going to have it way worse. You know why? Heaven came near to you. I showed you miracles over and over again. Bethsaida, many disciples were from that town. Miracles occurred there. Capernaum, that was Jesus' home base. We went through just a bunch of miracles that happened in that place. You saw it, and because of it, you are responsible. You have an awareness of what the truth is, and you still ignore it. You look at all the things in your life as more important than God. Interesting, this uh, Chorazin, there's no mention in the Bible of him doing miracles there. But we know because of this statement, he did do miracles there. There's several miracles that Jesus did. We can't write them all down. There's been many pastors who make an effort to go visit there because of the mystery of like, what did Jesus do here? Jesus says, the one who listens to you, you, one of these others, one of these other laborers, they're listening to me. And the one who rejects you, one of these others, he rejects me, Jesus. And he who rejects the one, and and sorry, and he who rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. 
When they reject you, they're rejecting me. Their response isn't on you. You're so afraid that you're going to say the wrong thing and go out there. I already called you a laborer. I know you don't know what you're doing. Follow my instructions. Go out there. Do what you're supposed to do. If they don't respond, it's not on you. It doesn't mean that you love them any less, but it means I don't just stay there and go, no, I can't wait till this one's done. But I am going to say, hey, just understand what you're doing before I leave. These are treacherous decisions you're making. When you reject the messenger, you're rejecting Jesus. When you're rejecting Jesus, you're rejecting the Father. You can't have one without the other. But what a mighty statement of a God who believes in his people. I've shown you the mysteries of who I am, and I send you out as my ambassador, as my messenger, as a messenger of the king. I believe in you. Can you believe in you? Can you humble yourself? Can you lean on me and trust me that I'm going to show up when you need me to? You don't need to panic. It's in my hands. I've got it. Verse 17, we see them come back and the results of this mission So the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. See, this wasn't even part of the directives that he put. He didn't go, let's go out there and, uh, you know, get rid of all the demons, you know. But they were so trusting. They were leaning into it. They were going above and beyond. They were doing the things that they had seen Jesus do. They said, if he can do it, we can do it because we are sent by him. And at this point in their journey, it's new, they're excited, and they've got it right. They said, you know what, they're subject to us in your name. That's critically important. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. You know what he's saying to him here? He says, it's awesome, you guys are doing great work. You saw some infantrymen fall, I saw the general fall. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. I think it's awesome. But don't rejoice in that, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. See, this this is a celebratory statement, but there's warning wrapped up inside of this. Because what I know, and as Tim said last week, he said, we need more ministers than many stars. When I start getting accolades for the things that I do, soon I start becoming very self-reliant. I start really thinking, I've got got this down. We see this happen with pastors over and over again. We see it happen with people in the Bible. Tim knows one of, a story that sticks with me all the time is um, King Uzziah. And King Uzziah was just, he was doing what the Lord wanted and things were going well. And all of a sudden he said, you know what I want to do? I want to go in there with the priest and burn incense. And the priest tried to stop him. He said, don't do this. This is not what you're called to do. But his arrogance put him in there. And while he's about to light it, his head breaks out and boils. And he ends up dying of leprosy. Verse 
start to think, I, I got this. I move from that humility to, hey, this is pretty cool. People have told me over and over again what a good job I do and how much I've blessed them. And I get lost in it. So Jesus is saying here, just to be clear, what you're doing is awesome. The demons ain't running from you. They're running from who you represent. Probably, how old am I? Probably 15 years ago, 20 years ago, something, I don't know. I was doing a camp with uh, about fourth through sixth graders. I was leading worship, and they had this uh, speaker there. His name was Fledge Fiamongo. If anyone's pregnant, they're thinking about names. I say go with it. It's great. Super fun to say. Okay? He's a South African guy. He uh, was a guide at the largest wildlife reserve in South Africa. And he shared the gospel through his love of animals and his passion for Jesus. And there was few as passionate as this guy. I shared a room with him. He talked about animals all night. He was just, yeah, man. I mean, all the time. Into it. I have no South African accent. I apologize. So we're, he's sharing one day. And he shared a lot. But there's one, one image that he showed me. I will remember the rest of my life. And I wish I could have found it. I looked aloud. He showed us the scene of about 20 to 30 hyenas who had attacked this female lion. Cut her up. Bitter, she climbs up in this tree. She's bleeding. She's surrounded, and they're just hollering at her. <sighs> All these crazy noises. They can't climb. They're trying. They're, I'm going to eat you. Get down here. I'm going to rip you up. Anybody ever felt like that before? You felt trapped? You feel like you're being snarled at? And you think, I'm, at one, some point, I'm going to get tired, and I'm going to fall down there? And I got no shot. There's too many of them. But my buddy Fledge goes, but then here comes the king. And around the trees comes this massive male lion. And he runs through these hyenas like they're nothing. They start fleeing as quick as they can, but not before he's batting them. Out of the way, each way, biting them, killing several. They got no shot because the hyenas forgot one thing. She belongs to him. mine. Those demons aren't fleeing from you. Don't mistake it. You might do some great things as you start figuring this out. Don't, it's not about you. They flee at my authority. I was there. They can't even dwell with me. It's not arrogance. It's truth. We need to humble ourselves there before him to say, God, even, even they flee at your name. And somehow you grace me with the ability to be your messenger out there. And they even recognize that authority as little as I know, as unqualified as I am. They recognize your authority in me because you placed it there. You revealed it to me. And they have no choice but to run. These 70 others, these others, these laborers, 
they stayed humble and they trusted Jesus and were able to impact the kingdom far greater than even was expected. At that time, verse 21, Jesus rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. And he said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. Talk about humility. God, it was awesome. You showed even these unintelligent guys how to do this. You qualified the unqualified. How glorious is it? It wasn't that you sent out somebody who was smarter and could make this argument in the best way possible. You took these guys who just were like, whatever you say, I'll go. Can you humble yourself? so that you can be dependent, so that you can lean on the Lord, so that you can have real impact in the greatest task that is offered to you. You can be part of showing people peace with God. That when they see you, they see the Son. That you as a reflection of Jesus are showing them God himself. if that stresses you out and you go, oh, God, that's, that seems like a lot. You're just a laborer. I had a guy come up to me after first service, and he said, the Lord's been telling me to leave the small group I'm comfortable in, to go lead a new one, and I just keep telling him, I'm not smart enough, God. I don't, I don't want to do that. And then while you were speaking, he said, I just need a laborer. I just need somebody willing you're not smart enough, it's cool, I got you. In fact, if you're too smart, it might be more difficult. I don't know where you are today. I don't know where, when you come in here, if you already have a relationship with the Lord or if somebody dragged you in here and you're like, I don't know who this man is. That's okay. I pray you leave with at least this. That the God of the universe, the creator of all things, not only made you, but adores you so much and believes in you to handle his work, to send you out. He will qualify you. He will make you ready. And your job is to trust and walk into that. And if you've never met him before, he wants to meet you today. There's people who will be here to pray in a little bit. They would love to pray with you. Or if you just want to come and kneel at the altar with no one up here, that's great too. There's something good about me seeking the Lord and being physical about it, me getting up and going to seek him at the altar. This is not a traditional altar. It's going to hurt your knees. Good. Let it cost you something because you desire him that much. Come pray with somebody because you desire to really step into this field and say, it's confusing to me. That's okay. We want to struggle and walk it out with you. You can be a part. You can trust him. You can let go of those controls and trust that it's going to fly.